On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, we're calm today. We're staying calm, so calm. Why isn't Christ's definition of Christianity good enough for us? And forgive him, Father, even though he knows exactly what he's doing. It is episode 60. Turn it up! Oh, boy. Well, today's episode is dedicated lovingly and and enthusiastically to, yes, of course, Kirkland Signature Trail Mix, because that stuff is the best trail mix in the world. If you go to Costco, you get yourself a bag of that Kirkland Signature Trail Mix, you will not be disappointed. And they just made the genius move of putting peanut M&Ms in there, which is, you know, I mean, it makes sense because there were already peanuts and there were already M&M's, but somehow peanut M&M's just, I mean, they just taste better. That's thats a wise maneuver. Yeah, yeah. yeah very Bold good. move. I applaud it. So, yes. Kirkland Signature Trail Mix, which also has, by the way, kept me alive many times on the mission field. When I go places where I, I don't think the food is safe, like somebody mm-hmm. will put something in front of me and I'm like, that's not cooked. And they're like, oh, it is cooked. I'm like, it's still moving. And they're like, well, yes, but it's spicy. You know, and I'm like, well, that doesn't help me not die. So, uh <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not hungry. And then I'll get back to wherever I'm staying and just shovel some Kirkland Signature Trail Mix. I even bring it with me, given, like, I I bring it with me even though they take it out in security checks and they always think I'm, like, trying to hide bombs in in Trail Mix or something. So, but it's worth it. Oh, yeah, totally. I I don't care. That, Cliff Bars, any kind of... Cliff Bars are good. Oh, my gosh. Anything that'll that'll have, like, a high protein so you're not, like, dying. You know what makes me sad is the... um, the oh, what kind of protein bar is that it's like klein or something i forget what they're called they're really good they're the tastiest ones out there yeah lowest in protein and i'm just like it's a waste of space in my bag that makes me sad yeah no help at all yep all right guys today we're gonna get into some wisdom but it's, it's gonna be kind of like a uh you know like a, a negative photo image you know where the colors are flipped up and you can tell what the picture is supposed to be by looking at it go completely wrong that's sort of how we're gonna get at wisdom today but first let's listen to solomon do it right yeah. Proverbs 30, verse 6. Simply this, do not add to his words, or he will reprove you, and you will be proved a liar. I don't even have a devotion for that. I didn't prep a lesson on it, Ben. Dude, your face is contorted right now. That was probably one of the most pithy usage uh, uses of uh of of a proverb well here's here's how i see it everybody always quotes revelation 22 right where it's like hey listen don't add to the words of the book of this prophecy or god will you know add the plagues that are written in it unto you Mm -hmm. right which is i don't want to minimize that but that's talking specifically about the book of revelation so somebody will misquote deuteronomy and they'll be like oh revelation says it's like no 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 yeah but what they're trying to say through that, Proverbs 30, verse 6, actually says, right? Yep. So I'm just, like, banking on that. So anyway, so guys, here's why we're so fired up about this. Here's why I've already yelled today. Here's why I quoted Proverbs 30, verse 6, about not adding to God's word or else you will be proved a what, Ben? A liar, is it? I think it said liar. I what? think you said liar. Liar. Yes, yes. that's right. Okay. We're going to do some stuff to equip you guys today. we got to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and some of the ministry is clarifying the gospel, sometimes defending the gospel, and certainly believing the gospel. Yeah. And we're all fired up. In fact, no, I, but I, I do. I have to stay calm. 
right? Because I don't yeah. want I don't want to turn this into a giant rant session. I'd exactly. rather make disciples. Well, so, and, I, and one of the major reasons we do some of these things is to call out unhelpful to be the most charitable I possibly can. Uh, various various teachers that might be unhelpful in how they present certain things. We've done this in the past. We try to do it carefully. Yeah, when not, a heretic is a heretic, it's okay to just yeah. say, look, the guy's going to burn in hell, and that's why God created the place. And I would want better for him, but he doesn't seem to want better for himself, so yeah. heck with it, right? That's okay. But there's a difference between a, a false teacher and a bad teacher. Yeah. But today we're going to talk about what happens when you teeter on the edge of that. Oh, yeah. You know? So here's what we got, guys. Um, yeah. So Andy Stanley has gone off the rails, which he's done before. Yep. Um. But he just keeps digging in his heels. And it's like, you know, I don't have any particular joy for wailing on Andy Stanley. Like I do, for example, with Joel Osteen. I, you know, I could use him like a punching bag, verbally speaking, of course. Um, because we don't advocate violence here. No, no, that's not the way Christians wisdom. deal with most things. I mean, you know, you, there's a boy that wants to date your daughter that doesn't make the cut. Sure, we advocate for violence <laughs> once in a while. But no, but with stuff like with doctrinal disagreements, I mean, you know, St. Nicholas, the heretic puncher aside, that's not how we ought to be handling things, right? But I will, <laughs> and Ben's heart just got wings. I, I, uh, you know, I, I enjoy, you know, bashing on heretics, but the Andy Stanley thing makes me sad because it does. he, you know, he, um, he has done so much good for so many people. I mean, he had a, a marriage series years ago that really helped a lot of people. And there was some yeah. great stuff in there as far as biblical counsel on marriages. And we know a lot of people that, that very much benefited from that. And so we would prefer to play nice with this guy. But the problem is when, you, when you're not playing nice with Jesus and the apostles, you've picked a side and we got to clarify the message, yeah. you know? And so I take no joy in this. A um, little bit of background on this. What, what we're going to do today, first off, is, is we're going we're gonna to play some clips and then we're just going to talk about this. And, and the reason we're going to play the clips and talk about them is because we want everybody in our listening audience to see the trajectory of bad doctrine. We want to see what happens when you wander an inch off of biblical authority here and an inch there and an inch there. You wind up a few years down the road, you're a mile off of the, off of the straight and narrow, right? And so we're going to kind of track this and you're going to see what this looks like in real time. Because we're always warning you guys about it and, you know, whatever. Like, what do you do when you disagree with God? You change your mind. Well, what happens if you don't? And so we can actually, you know, because we've got technology now, I mean, we can, we can watch it, unfortunately. So... We're, we're going we're gonna to show you how this looks so that you can avoid it in your own life. And then after we listen to a couple of these clips, which is going to be like Chinese ice torture for you for a few minutes, um, but bear with us. We're not here to entertain you. We're here to equip you. Um, after we do that, then you know we're going to talk about how can we see these same mistakes creeping into our own understanding of the Bible and our own interpretive methods and, and things like that. So if you guys have ever heard of Charles Stanley, he has been a... Faithful pastor for a long time, uh, you know, Bible expositor, and had some controversies in his ministry, and some people bailed on him at that point, and I understand that. You know, there was a, a divorce involved, and there were some questions about if that was biblical or not, if he still qualified as a pastor or not. I don't really have a big take on all of that. Um, I don't know enough about the details. I don't really have time to keep up with the Christian TMZ, despite how this episode may uh, seem, because we're digging in on this one, but... When you listen to a Charles Stanley sermon, you're going to get the word of God, right? The guy, the guy is a faithful Bible teacher, and he's definitely from a particular theological camp that some people may disagree with, but no, nobody's going to say that he's a false teacher. Yeah, nobody serious is going to say that he's a false teacher. We should all have some appreciation for him. Um, so his son, Andy, winds up 
being a pastor, they have some doctrinal disagreements over some stuff, which is okay. You know, one generation to another, you're going to, you know, the younger generation is going to have their own take on some stuff and uh, kind of plant their own flag, make their own legacy. No problem. So Andy um, branches off and starts a church in Atlanta also and became one of the biggest churches in the U.S. I mean, we're talking, you know, up there in that eighteen to 20,000 people uh, head count at times. And I mean, you know, how do they count, right? Especially post-COVID when you get into like, what they call online campuses and stuff. I don't, I don't dig all of that. But anyway, there, there are thousands and tens of thousands of people that are on a semi-regular or regular basis ingesting Andy Stanley's teaching. So very influential. He also did that thing that, that Christian megachurch pastors kind of do and, um, you know, uh, started a leadership world for himself, you know, leadership books. And leadership. he wrote a book called uh, Communicating for a Change, which is actually the one book of his that I thought was pretty helpful in a lot of ways. Um, it was it was about 10 times as long as it needed to be. It could have been a pamphlet, but you know how these guys write books. So um, there, there was some good stuff in there as far as communication. He is a master communicator in a lot of ways. And because of that, he's very persuasive, right? So then when he started wandering off the, the, uh, off the doctrinal reservation, a lot of people followed him because a lot of people have followed him for a long time. It was in the 90s when he started North Point Community Church, I think it's called. And, um, you know, there are babies that have been born and come up and come to Christ in his ministry and legit conversions and all of that. So anyway, it's, it's a sad tale. It's, it's hard to watch, and the collateral damage is big. There's a blast radius on this stuff. Where did it all start? It all started at least... You know, as far as, as far as I, I, I guess this is autobiographical. The first time I heard of it, uh, of a problem there was in his interpretation of the Old Testament. Now, in reality, when I was in seminary, they were assigning us these Andy Stanley books, and I'm just like, this is crap. This stuff is like top to bottom, cover to cover, bona fide crap. Why are we reading this? And they were like, well, it's working. Look at how many people he's reaching, and it was very pragmatic, oh. right? And so I was like, man, I don't know about this guy. Like something's off. He doesn't seem to take the Bible that seriously. And, you know, he's saying things like um, some of it was just methodological, right? Like yeah. he, he absolutely lambasted the idea of expository preaching. He, of, and that was in that same book, Communicating for a Change. So while I disagree with him, obviously, um, you know, he, he made a very articulate case for topical preaching. And he went to the sermons of Jesus and how he spoke to the needs that people felt they had and so on. So I understand all that. We disagreed, whatever. But the way that he did it was very mocking and sarcastic, you know, and he said, look, knowledge puffs up. So you don't want to be giving your people too much Bible knowledge. And I'm like, that's a really convenient excuse not to study before you preach, you know? (laughs) And then his sermons were kind of like, yeah, is there, is there any good news in here? Is it all just good advice? And then he came out with this thing a few years ago about how Christianity needs to unhitch itself from the Old Testament. So those were, those were his words. And he's, he, he was making comments like, you know, um, the 11th commandment is, or he said, the point of the New Testament is thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments. And he was trying to go hyper grace on it. Like, it's all about grace. It's not about law. And so he just did away with the Torah. Right, did away with Moses, did away with the prophets, and all of that. He said, "Nope, Jesus is New Testament. We're talking about the resurrection. All we're going to focus on is the resurrection." So I'm like, "Wow, that's heresy!" Like, I don't know if he's at that point. I'm thinking, I don't know if he's a heretic that is not a Christian and going to burn in hell. But that doctrinal error itself is heresy, you know. So I'm thinking, okay, this doesn't end anywhere good. And from that point on, you can almost start the clock ticking. I'm, I'm surprised it went this fast, but you can you can predict that downward. Um, 
uh, slip cannonball, I guess, in this case of, you know, surrendering doctrines one by one, because if you let the old Testament go, there goes Hebrews, there goes Romans, there goes all of the quotes from Jesus of the old Testament. There goes all, I mean, on the cross, he's yelling out from Psalm 22, right? So like there goes all of that stuff. And the book of Revelation, forget about it. It's like, you know, 600 quotes from the Old Testament or something crazy like that. Well, and you've got Paul, right, when he says all Scripture is God-breathed. He's yeah. not talking necessarily about the New Testament because if it had been written yet, yeah. right? It was Scripture. In other words, oh, Old Testament, yes. The, yeah. and, and he was probably speaking most specifically about the, about the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the ancient Hebrew Scriptures, right? So, I mean, you've got, he's referring to that as God breathed, mm-hmm. as useful for training and for instruction and for correction and for reproof, so that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped or yeah. well equipped for every good work. And the author of Hebrews, his whole approach is a systematic walking through yeah. of the Old Testament to say this teaches us about Christ. Yeah. And that's one of that that might be the most detailed Christological picture in the Bible we have, and it all comes oh, from the Old Testament, right? Yes. It, it might, okay, so I was understating that. That is certainly... Oh, dude, you, you're, you're talking about my favorite book, man. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true. It, that's true. Yeah, I'm there, the Bible is my favorite book, but, man, I'm telling <laughs> but it, you... Yeah, you're going to Hebrews. He, well, I, I think Hebrews, especially in in a lot of... It was so transformative, even in my own in my own understanding of how do I look at the Old Testament? Because before it was like, okay, the guy, you know, the typical excuse is, and this is a bit of a, of a this is a, well, this really isn't a, a, a deviation. The typical excuse is that when you read the Old Testament, oh, the God of the Old Testament is a jerk. He's mean. Right. He's mean. He hate you know, until you realize, no, there's something bigger going on. There's a broader communication. And yes, this God who has been offended somehow is being merciful. And yet, and, 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 and you have, even these heroes of the of the chosen people are not as good as they ever as as they should be or could be, and so then you go, well, who is going to be this amazing king, priest, you know, yeah. prophet, and and oh, judge, and judge, and and oh my gosh, all of a sudden you have one, yep, and 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 the other Hebrews. Dear listener, read the book of Hebrews, enjoy it. Over I know there's some scary spots in there. Okay. Don't let those scare you. Okay? They're there for a reason. They're there for a reason, but they're there as good guardrails with spikes on them to keep you in the lanes. But but they're also they're good and wonderful warnings. But man, what they all what the whole book of Hebrews points to that, about being Christ mm. yeah. in the Old Testament, absolutely. Needs yeah, so you get rid of the Old Testament and there goes Hebrews. Yeah. Right? You start gutting. I mean, what that is is Marcionism, right? So Marcion yeah. was in the third third century, so yep. the two hundreds. And um and he, he was a heretic out in, I think it was North Africa, right around um, like Carthage or something. I could be wrong about that part. But yeah, he said, look, the God of the Old Testament is mean. The God of the New Testament is nice. So we're going straight Jesus. He cut out the whole Old Testament and all of the parts of the New Testament that depended on the Old Testament because he said those can't be inspired uh, scriptures because there's no gospel mm-hmm. there. And so he wound up with like a couple of letters. Of, he wound up with, with most of the letters of Paul because like an idiot, he missed most of the Old Testament references. And, <laughs> and like the book of Luke and part of, or like part of the book of Luke, I guess. No revelation. And so anyway, he, he slimmed his Bible down to what Andy Stanley and William Lane Craig and these guys would call a mere Christianity. All we care about is the resurrection. Everything else can fall off the sides. So, or I should say it this way. Everything else, if, if it does fall off the sides, you haven't lost Christianity. It's just resurrection, Right. Yeah, William Lane Craig's going that direction Huge. too. Huge. Now oh, he does man. it from a different angle. He doesn't. William Lane Craig isn't like, hey, listen, throw out the Bible. He yeah. he actually engages with it, 
Um, but he will, as, as far as evangelism goes, he takes a minimalistic okay. approach to the gospel in evangelism, and it's all just resurrection. And I, I just just because I don't want this to be too inside baseball, William Lake Craig, right? He's the he's that apologist out of Biola, right? Yeah. And he's been very popular. If you ever watch YouTube videos of him dating, like uh, dating, excuse me, debating, <laughs> he did not date any. Well, he probably dated his wife, but we're going to yeah. leave it at William that. William Lane Craig dated James not White. Inten- Get, there's a soundbite for you. Not intending to besmirch <laughs> his character in that way. Um, you have you know him debating Christopher Hitchens yeah. and a couple other guys and whole thing aside you know it's like you you have he, he's he's actually a, a pretty accomplished debater he's I mean, a he's, genius yeah. and and he's from the the <clears throat> philosophical camp right? exactly so you get and we've done other episodes on apologetics but you get some guys that are presuppositional which is you start with the bible you talk about the bible you end with the bible because this person in front of you actually knows that god exists and just hates him so we're not going to admit any lack of knowledge about God for the other person, mm-hmm. right? Then you've got the William Lane Craig side of things, which is um, a philosophical engagement. Yeah. Hey, we're going to reach you through um, through the mind. We're going to show you that Christianity is a reasonable faith, yeah. which was the title of his book, right? Yeah. Or one of his books, Reasonable Faith. So yeah, he he makes, in my view, a category error there. Yeah. And Andy Stanleyites will typically have William Lane Craig as their favorite apologist. I'm not saying to stay away from William Lane Craig. I'm saying... There's there's a danger there if you take if you take his methodology too far. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So that's that's kind of what went down. And then after that, you know, after uh, Andy Stanley's doctrine did a voluntary nosedive into a parking lot, um, then doctrines just started getting peeled off like orange peels, right? So then here goes the. Uh, the authority of Scripture. Here goes the inerrancy of Scripture. Here goes the virgin birth. Here goes the need for the second coming. I didn't. I didn't actually hear him say that one, but I'm, you know, I'm hearing this from other places. So, all of this kind of stuff, you, you wind up with a gutted Christianity, all with the idea of reaching out to somebody who doesn't believe and doing evangelism, right? So, it, the intention there, if if we're being charitable, like you said, our most charitable version of this is he's trying to remove barriers between people and Christ, okay. But some of those things that he considers to be barriers are just core Christianity. And when you remove those, you lose the gospel. Yep. So let's uh, let's do this. We're going to listen to a clip. The We'll do a couple of them, but this first one is uh, just a little less than two minutes long. And this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. This is, this is liberating. There's one close friend of mine. By the way, the uh, audio on this first clip is not too great. So it'll get a little better after this. Bear with us on this. A mine said, who's in her 60s, she said, I finally understand. And it's disturbing, perhaps, for people like me, like you, who received our first Bibles with no instructions. Pause. His dad was one of the best Bible teachers of his era. Don't tell me you got no instructions, you ungrateful little twerp. But I'll tell you who it's liberating for. It's liberating for men and women who are drawn to the simple message that God loves you so much, he sent his son to pave the way to a relationship with you. It's appealing and it's liberating for people who need and understand grace, who need and understand forgiveness. And it's liberating for people who find it virtually impossible to embrace, to embrace the dynamic, the, the worldview, and the value system depicted in the story of ancient Israel. And Peter, who was on both sides. James, who was on both sides. The Apostle Paul, oh my gosh, he was killing Christians before he became one. These men are right at the epicenter. They were on both sides of the equation. Here's what they say to you and to me as a Christian. Peter, James, Paul,
Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures. And my friends, we must as well. Sorry about the sound effects. Many have lost faith because of something about the Bible or in the Bible, the Old Testament in particular. Once they could no longer accept all the historicity of the Old Testament, once they couldn't go along with all the miracles, once somebody poked a hole in the Genesis creation, you know, myth. So there's that. Ominous music aside, once they poked a hole in all the miracles? Yeah, once they couldn't, once they they couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't get down with all that stuff anymore. That, that video, by the way, the music in the background, that was added by the guy that... Um, we found the clip as a guy named Doctrinal Watchdog. So there you go. There was Ooh. that. All right. All right, man. What do you think? Well, I mean... Well, okay. So we, <laughs> let me be more specific, right? Because again, we got to work really hard not to turn this into a big rant session. We're going to rant a little bit, but we got to be careful. Yeah. But what what do... How should disciples of Christ be understanding what we just heard? Well, I, I mean... You know, you, you muted me for a second, which I'm glad because I was about to go off um, on the, you know, even just that notion, dear listener, anybody who tells you Jesus goes to pave a way is not listening to his scripture correctly. Uh, you have first Peter chapter three. Uh, I want to say it's 18. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Yeah. No. And. But but I want to say it's like in other words, did he does he make does he pave the way so that you can walk the path to God? I I would say that that is I can be charitable maybe in some of that, but then you get into the unhitching of like miracles and things like that. Well, what you just said was essentially Catholicism, right? So if if Jesus died in order to give us a chance to walk towards God, right? That's Catholicism. Jesus died. Now you have a chance to do the works to receive the grace that so on right absolutely so there's which that is, that's yeah that's catholicism right 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 so that would be the the logical implications of what he just said which is what you are arguing against i'm not yes. accusing you of being a catholic um, okay, but <laughs> yeah but um let me let me just play devil's advocate here for a second sure because i've made statements like jesus cut a path through the grave and said follow me so we follow him through the grave or into the grave out the other side and into eternal life so in that sense he made a way right so we can Again, we could be charitable on that, but the overall message that that interprets his statement for us means that's not what he meant by that. He didn't mean Jesus did it all for us and, and brings us along. He meant he's giving us a chance to save ourselves. Well, yeah, because if you unhitch the Old Testament, which the Old Testament is essentially saying you can't save yourself. <laughs> you're, you're stuck. You need a better high priest. You need a better sacrifice. You unhitch all of that, and all of a sudden you've got God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, which is totally true. But all you're left with is you're awesome, so turn to Jesus because he thinks you're awesome. Precisely. Yeah, so just so that you know, uh, dear listener, what Ben just said is the summary of the Old Testament. If you're ever wondering, if you're ever reading your Old Testament, you're like, I'm not sure what the point is of what I'm reading because some of it gets pretty weird, right? That's a good place to start. The message of this is I can't save myself. Watch all these guys try and fail. Yep. Right? So there you go. I, I just, you, you brushed over that moment of brilliance, and I just wanted them to pause on that because that's huge, right? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, uh, yeah, doing away with the, the creation myth. I mean, if by myth he meant dictionary definition of origin story, then. I suppose technically that would fit, but he's a communicator. He knows what he's saying. Exactly. And, and the idea of myth introduces something that is either not true or legendary at some level to where it is not 
necessarily believable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's made to communicate a moral rather than yeah. a historical event. Yeah, and that's, yeah, you, you, you can't go there. I mean, if you do yeah. that, if you nuke creation, what have you just done with Adam? Well, yeah, and, and, with, <laughs> and with everything else, right? So, like, by the way, he, he will harp on the idea of historical Adam not being important, right? Which does away with Romans 5 because, you know, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. So if you've got death before you've got sin, then the, the Bible and the gospel is nonsense. But even if you could just look at the, the creation event, I mean, the opening words of the Bible are the creation event, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if your answer to that is, eh, maybe, or maybe it's a myth with a deeper moral tale, what you're doing is calling into question a clear statement of fact right there. Now, I'm, I get it. Genesis 1 is written very poetically, and it is possible and faithful to, you know, it can be a faithful interpretation to take it as poetry. I'm down. But when it says God created and you say, I don't, I don't care if you believe that or not, yeah. we've just thrown out the word of God. Well, and th- again, you mentioned Paul in Romans 5, but you also have Jesus himself quoting Genesis as fact. Especially Matthew 19. He, exactly. And Mark 10, right? Mark 10. When he's sitting there and he's going at it and he says, okay, and you, there's so much even in that one particular passage because he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, right? So you've got, you've got genders, you've got marriage, you've got... You just you melted order. a snowflake, my friend. No, and all of a sudden you're like, but, but what I'm saying is, is if you detach that, then all of a sudden Jesus' words have maybe kind of a moral meaning, but, but they're obviously not really referring to the Old Testament. Yeah, we're we're subjecting the yeah. words of Christ and the rest of the word of God to our scrutiny and then deciding if we'll believe it or not. Yeah. Now that's a very different conversation than saying how do we understand this? Yeah. Right? How do we understand this? That's just good old-fashioned Christianity. We we should be Bereans in that sense, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So this one's going to be a little bit longer. We'll do a few minutes on this one. The Bible told me so. How about I put some volume on there? Should I? You probably should. If the Bible says it, that, anybody? Settles it right here on the front row. Yeah, that's right. If the Bible says it, that settles it. And so we send kids off to college with a, if the Bible says it, that settles it. And oh my goodness, they discovered that that didn't settle it. Okay. So far, so good. We all share that, we all should share that caution. If we give our our kids an authoritative um, don't ask me any questions or else God's mad at you, Faith. We should not be surprised when it falls apart their first semester of a philosophy class. And that's one of the things we talked about on the last podcast, right? Intellectual honesty. Hey, let's talk about these various things, right? Let's, uh, there are, you know, it, it, we don't want to descend, not, we don't want to descend into some kind of, I'm going to suspend all of my reason, maybe understanding that my reason is flawed, my reason may be fallen, I may need to, I, I may need help with that reason, but still, you know, and this, this this is the thing about like a classical apologetic is that Christian faith is both a reasonable faith, but also something that has evidence as well. Yep, words, yep, it's, yep. it's a reasonable thing. Yeah. And then they come home and they say, Mom, Dad, Grandma, my Granddad, Uncle, Aunt, did you know? Did you know? And it's like, I don't ask those questions. The Bible says it. That settles it. The Bible says it. That settles it. The problem is this. The problem with that is this. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith... If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. In other words, Christianity cannot Amen. survive 
if the Bible goes away. Christianity cannot survive if somehow every single part of the Bible isn't absolutely true if the Bible is the foundation of our faith. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, it is all or nothing. If any... Now listen, when you're listening to Satan talk, you're going to be surprised at how often you can say amen because there's going to be a lot of truth in there. But what we're seeing here is he's saying something as a criticism that we endorse as a a full badge of honor in (laughs) in our faith, right? God spoke... And it is authoritative. And I think it's, it's noticeable here, and this is for discipleship uh, discernment here, it, it is noticeable that there's, a, um, there's a, what's called a snuck premise, where he operates on a premise that he didn't bother stating, he just assumes it and moves on from there. The snuck premise is, if you claim biblical authority, you are not willing to take questions or engage doubts, right? So biblical authority and receiving, uh, it, biblical authority and engaging questions are mutually exclusive in this line of argumentation. So that's his idea of accepting the Bible. Shut off your brain and just believe it, which is not at all what the scriptures themselves prescribe. No, I mean, wouldn't uh, you have, you even have Paul in uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 15 saying, hey, we've been told this stuff, mm. but if Jesus has arisen from the dead, then we're to be pitied. You should mock us. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he has been raised from dead because you can go and interview the 500 people that saw him, yeah. although a few of them fell asleep. There, again, this goes back to, the, is there, there is a reasonable intellectual way for us to approach faith and by by creating this false dilemma of you either accept the bible completely and don't think or you're a thinker yeah therefore you really can't accept the bible you might need to discern what is right and wrong for yourself which by the way uh to talk out of the other side of my mouth William Lane Craig would probably be one of the best people to explain just that, that you don't have to shut your brain off in order to engage Christianity, right? So he's, he's done some great work on that. So there's a shout out. Thing proves that something in the Bible isn't actually, absolutely, historically, scientifically reliable. Uh oh, the whole thing comes tumbling down because this version of Christianity is a house of cards. And all you have to do is pull out one card and the whole thing comes tumbling down. Christianity becomes a fragile house of cards that comes tumbling down when people point out apparent contradictions in the Bible. When in school we're told there's no way the earth is 6,000 years old, it's four and a half or 4.55 billion years old and the universe is 14 and a half billion years old and all of a sudden all we have to do, you know, the, the tension is around the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, but science has said, science has said, the Bible says, science has said, the Bible says, and the I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Can I just throw in my uh, my my uh, pitch here for gap theory? Because <laughs> <laughs> fix it. <laughs> anyway, that's that's a theological quirk on my end. Sorry. Yeah, I mean to, to to juxtapose science and and faith in such a manner. It, 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 it's 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 really it's 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 very condescending. Well, you know, it yeah, is. yeah, you 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 pour simple-minded, you know, Christians that, 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 that believe that the, what the Bible has to say. I mean, yeah, okay, are there, are there quote, I won't even say contradictions, but there can be misunderstandings of various passages. Paradoxes. Because, but because we don't, because we're reading it, like we don't read the Bible like we read the New York Times. Well, yeah. And to hold the Bible to a standard for which, you know, to, a, to like a, some journalistic standard, which was was contrived by men to begin with but also it, it, it you're you're going backwards and trying to apply a standard that for for which the bible was not trying to communicate to begin with right right you're holding yeah exactly you're saying you fail the standard you're losing the game that you never agreed to play 
right? Yeah. So you just brought up something really important there, um, which is the, the standards of men. They're contrived by men, right? I notice one of the things in here is that he's, he's placing absolute inerrant authority on what you learn in school, right? He says, and then you go to school and you learn that the universe is this old and whatever. And I'm thinking, well, who says the school is right and the Bible's wrong? Why are we taking that as a given? You know, but it's what we do because that's trust the science. Well, yeah, exactly. You're not a science denier, are you? You, Trust the science, right? (laughs) Trust the official government doctrine. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? Everybody has an authority that they're going to appeal to. He's just decided that his is going to be by general consensus of a secular society. And he's going to appeal to that authority rather than the, you know, the, the authority claimed by the Christ who rose from the dead, which he says is the ultimate you know, a sign of authority. So yeah. it's, it's a contradiction. All of a sudden, there's this extraordinary, extraordinary tension. If the Bible, if the Bible, if the bi- entire Bible isn't true, then let's be honest, the Bible isn't true. Amen. I mean, if the whole thing isn't true, because when you grow up and I grew up, if you grew up in a church in the United States, it's basically the Bible says it, that settles it. The Bible says it, that settles it. And then we grow up and we become adults. And we become aware of things that make us wonder if everything in the Bible is true. And when we conclude, or if we come to the conclusion that maybe it's not all accurate. Did you hear his Freudian slip there? When we conclude that the Bible's not all accurate. Yeah. That was autobiographical is what that was. You just heard him uh, try and reel back in his story of apostasy. Let's see. And when we conclude, or if we come to the conclusion that maybe it's not all as true as we were told it was true, Christianity comes tumbling down. This puts the Bible in a place that if we can't defend everything in it, everything in it goes away. And the good news is that that's very unfortunate. And the great news is that is absolutely unnecessary. Christianity and the Christian faith is far, far, far more endurable than any of that. So here's, here's my plea today, and then we're going to jump into some detail. If you deconverted, if you walked away from Christianity, if you kind of stepped back from the whole thing because of something you read in the Bible, something you were told about the Bible, I want you to listen carefully. Christianity, okay? Christianity does not exist because of the Bible any more than you exist because of your birth certificate. All right. So part of what he just said, again, is true, right? The Bible did not come before the events written in the Bible, (laughs) right? The documentation came later. But it's also clear what he's saying, which is if you want to throw out the Bible, you can still have Christianity. And that is manifestly the opposite of what the Bible says, right? For it is written. For it is the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord endures forever. You can't read Psalm 119 and come away with this. And if he wants to throw out Psalm 119, then you can't read 2 Timothy and come away with this, right? Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Not devote yourself to the public unhitching of Scripture, the public reading of it. And then 2 Peter 3, he says a lot of these guys twist the Scriptures to their own destruction, you know, um, discussing... Paul and his writings as scripture on the same level with the Old Testament, which is exactly what he's doing here. So all of this stuff was answered 2000 years ago. And the idea that, that, you know, we're saying something new or revolutionary here is, um, it, it just means that there's no, there's no study that's gone into this. Essentially. He, he made a sermon out of his own opinions, right? So the Bible doesn't exist. He, he's going to say it's the other way around. Eventually, if we kept playing that clip, 
The Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible. The Bible exists because of Christianity. That is technically, from a certain angle, true, but we get what he's saying with it, and he's been clear about it in his explanation, and that ends up being, what a stupid thing to say. Because everybody in the room could actually amen that and mean completely different stuff by it, which means it's a totally non, it's total non-statement. So where he's going to go from here, and I'm not going to play that whole thing, but where he's going to go is he's going to put up a timeline and give a history lesson. And the timeline is Jesus rose from, I'm summarizing, Jesus rose from the dead. The, you know, the, the church started um, a month and a half later at Pentecost and, you know, and so on. And then, um, you know, the Bible wasn't codified until 367 AD. I don't even know if he says 367. If he makes the mistake and says 325 at the Council of Nicaea, that's just going to prove he doesn't read. I don't know. Anyway, um, He's going to say the Bible didn't show up in in its current form for a few hundred years. And so you've got 300 years of the church that we all look to as examples in the early church, and they didn't have a Bible. That's his history lesson. Therefore, you can be a faithful follower of Jesus without the Bible, or at least without the entire thing, right? Now, at that point, I would say, they did have the Old Testament. (laughs) Yes. But, yeah. So on a historical note, then, did Christianity exist for 300 years without the Bible? Bearded Beaver, I cede to you. No. <laughs> so, sorry. I mean, it, did it, was there was there more apostolic revelation being written? Yes, there was until John died. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, you have that. So I I don't think that it's yeah. You can't you can't just go and just say well it we didn't have quote a codified Bible. First of all, that's a lot of speculation. There were a lot of churches holding on onto an awful lot of scripture. So, so to say, oh yeah, well the, the canon was decided by the Council of Nicaea or whatever, right? You know, to get into that, it's all a conspiracy by Constantine or whatever, you know. And all, I mean, you know, put the doobie down and let's just talk for a second. That's the Tommy Chung apologetic, right there. Yeah, exactly. Instead, of, like, hey, let's let's speak clearly. The 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 whether you know where where the where the scripture was affirmed, it was affirmed. It wasn't like decided. In other words, that's saying, a great way to put that. Yeah. That's what the, the scriptures were affirmed, not decided. These churches got together and say, these are the, these are the scriptures we have been using because they testify about Christ and they, and they talk about Christian life. And these were from Paul, the apostle who was called to be the apostle of the Gentiles. It was, it was affirmed that these in fact were the scriptures. It wasn't, oh, well, we decided because we like this teaching and not that teaching because there's some books in there that some people might have gone, huh, I don't like it. Like yeah. Martin Luther didn't like the book of James. Yeah, hated it. You know? He yeah. called it the epistle of straw. He was wrong about that one. Yeah, the, yeah woefully wrong about that well, one. Well, again, you, from his roots, you can kind of yeah. go, yeah. I mean, if, he, if, you're, if they're using that, that passage, like a, if you're using James like a cudgel to keep the people in line, I can see why someone might not it. like it. Somebody needed to disciple him out of that. Nobody yes. did. Probably because nobody could... You know, hang with him intellectually or volume wise. Yeah, or with pretty... his drinking capacity. Either. Oh my gosh, that brother! <laughs> he could put him away, man. But uh, yeah, so what they did have, you see in Acts seventeen, for example, um, and you see in Second Timothy four, where he says, "Yo, hey Timothy, bring me the parchments." He's talking about the scriptures yep. there. But in in Acts seventeen, you get the Bereans who search yeah. the scriptures. Right, that's an important word. We'll zero in on that. Search the scriptures daily in order to see if these things that Paul and Barnabas at that point were no. That's post Barnabas, right? We're teaching them th- those things were true. So, what scriptures were they searching? Oh, a creation myth. Oh, the the uh, the the Ten Commandments, which were supposed to unhitch. Later on in that sermon, I look. I listened to the whole thing. Now, I'm thankfully, sorry. he only preaches like twenty three minutes at a time, which I disagree with methodologically. But in this case, was a move of grace for me that I didn't have to listen to more of it. But he said the point of the New Testament is thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments. That was his quote. 
right? And so you, you take something like that and it's like, well, then what were the Bereans searching that Paul was commending them for and saying they were more noble than any of the others, right? So there, there's all kinds of contradictory statements in here that if you just apply a little bit of logic and compare one statement in one sermon to a statement in another, we wind up with a very incoherent worldview and a very incoherent bibliology, which basically just tells you he's saying what he feels. All right, this is from a sermon called When Gracie Met Truthy. You know, I like the grace part. So we're, we're, we're conflicted, like Jesus, you know, you, where you're trying to figure this out. And it's messy. It's messy. And so consequently, in a network... Jesus is conflicted. He's, he was... That, that Gosh, poor guy. That poor guy. He needed some counseling. So crazy. I can't, yeah. Wow. If only he knew how to pray about it. Churches as large as ours, and we have, you know, again, a bunch of churches in Atlanta and around the country. We run into these situations all the time. I just want to tell you, to tell you one, one story. I was going to tell you three stories, but no time for three stories. One story that I, I just, here's, here's where we land. I, years ago, when we first started the church, I met a family in our children's ministry, a husband and wife, and their elementary school age daughter. And uh, we got to be friends and meal together. I did a couple of funerals for um, parents and just, you know, not super best friends, but knew them, tracked with them, knew what was going on, see them at church. About five, five and a half years ago, she discovers that he's in a relationship with another guy. And it's devastating, of course. And it breaks her heart. And there's, you know, there's just the deceit and all the stuff that goes with, with those kinds of things. And of course, confusing for their daughter and embarrassing. And it's just, it's just, it's just a big mess. So she gets an attorney, um, you know, and, and to their credit, they asked the attorney to represent their daughter so that however this worked out, it would be best for her. So sing- Now I got to say at this point, this story is going to unfold and we're going to wail on him for how he handled it. But this is not like our criticisms here are not coming from a place of um, armchair quarterbacking. These are typical pastoral situations and we've all had to navigate situations like this. So I say this because it's, it's varying degrees of success. True. I mean, it's yeah, and and he, what he says is it's messy. Oh yeah, and we yeah. don't always win. Absolutely right. We don't like we don't always get what we want. We don't always get what God wants out of it. So I sympathize with it from that perspective. But I say that to say it's really easy to criticize these situations when you've never had to deal with it. But guys, you're listening to two guys that have to deal with this kind of stuff on a regular basis. So that's that's where we're coming from. Attorney worked this out, and in six months, they're divorced. And there's all the shrapnel and all the wounds and all the betrayal and all the confusion and all the, you know, all that's all there. You've been through that. You've seen it. You have family members, whether whatever kind of divorce it is, it's just all there. And it's as painful as it can possibly be. And then some months after the divorce was finalized, he shows up here at our North Point campus with his partner. And she's here. And it was either Easter or Christmas. I can't remember. It was a, it was, it was a big Sunday. And she is mad, three-syllable mad, okay? She is uh, uh, upset. She is, you know, she's like you would feel if it was you or your sister or your daughter. And it's like, and she got in his face and she said, look, this is my church. You know, you cause this problem. You go to any church you want to in Atlanta, but you can't come to, this is my church. I need a worship-free, I need a trauma-free zone. And so you go somewhere else. And basically, she kicked him and his partner out of our church. And so they left. Well, as you know, we have lots of churches in the city of Atlanta. And as it turned out, they decided to attend a different one of our churches. And it was the one that was closest to them. So they attended Buckhead Church. And as the story goes, the very, if I remember this right, the very first Sunday they showed up at Buckhead Church was our strategic service Sunday. 
And in Strategic Service Sunday, we spend the entire time recruiting people to volunteer. And I, you know, I cast a big vision and you know, we're gonna change the world. Come help us change the world. And so my friend's partner said, hey, I like this church. I think we should get involved. So on the first Sunday they're there, they go down and sign up to, to be in Strategic Service and join a host team, one of our guest services teams. Well, a few weeks go by and I'm checking on her. How's it going? And she said, that's good. You know, and we talked about the, you know, she kicked him out of the church and how's that going, you know? And, and she said, well, the, the good news, I guess, is that they're back in church. I said, oh, great, where? She said, they're going to Buckhead Church. She said, and then she kind of chuckled. And she said, not only that, they're serving. I said, really? She goes, yeah, they joined a host team. Now, what I knew, and I double checked with her to make sure I was correct, was the last I, where we had left off was he, my friend's partner, and he's a friend now, but back then not so much. My friend's partner was still married. And so I said to her, I said, now, he's still married, right? And she said, yeah, the divorce has taken longer than they expected. It's kind of getting dragged out. So I called my buddy and said, okay, I know things have been awkward you know, between us, but look, uh, and, and I'm glad you're in church. That's a good thing. And I'm glad you're at one of our churches. You know, that's a good thing. But your partner, he's, he's still married. So see, this is just good old fashioned adultery. Like you're in a sexual relationship with someone else's husband. Uh, you, know, it was, you know, I've never said that before. But anyway, so <laughs> I said, so you can't be on a guest services team, okay? This is, you're just living in, you know, this is, this is clear, okay? You can't do this. And he, you know, he, he, he's, he said, you know, I, I get this. He said, well, and, and it's funny now, it wasn't funny then. He said, well, he's married, but he's almost divorced, okay? We're all, he's almost divorced. <laughs> They're at the very end. I'm like, you can't be almost divorced, okay? You're married or you're not. As long as he's married, you can't serve on a, host, on a guest services team. And so I kind of, you know, kicked him off the team. He said, well, my partner, he's gonna be really upset about this because he loved the church and he loved the fact that we were gonna be able to connect. I said, well, you know what? I'll, I'll talk to you. If you guys wanna come in, I'll, I'll talk to you about this. So they came in to see me. Now, a few weeks ago, during the Ann Rice message, I introduced some of you to a new word. The new word was disputatious, okay, disputatious. So when they came to see me, the three of us had a disputatious conversation. <laughs> it was really, really awkward and bad. And to, the, to, our, you know, to my friend's partner's defense, it's because they showed up at Buckhead Church and they never saw me down there except on a screen, and so he said, how can you kick me off out of a church? You're not even the pastor there. Woo! Okay, where to start with that one? Yeah, so you guys can't see in the studio. We're not, uh, actually, even if we did video these, we probably wouldn't have videoed this one today because there's a lot of nonverbal communication going on here. So, and um, a lot of self-censoring. Yeah, like, okay, so aside from the ecclesiological issues of how do you pastor somebody through a screen? Whatever, we'll save that for another time. What, why, the obvious question. I'll just, I'll just be Captain Obvious here. Why draw the line there, right? Like, oh, okay, so you can, you can show up and, and be serving in a role where you're doing outreach and welcoming people and representing Christ and his bride and all of this kind of stuff while living in a homosexual relationship unrepentantly without even apparently the tension of knowing that this grieves the Holy Spirit while claiming to be a Christian and yet Christ not being your Lord. That's all cool. Maybe we're going to give people time to work through their whatever. But if one of the people living in the homosexual relationship is married to a woman, well, now it's adultery. Is that true? Yes, that's true enough. But that's where he draws the line? Like, why draw the line there? At that point, why draw a line at all? 
but you are proud. Thinking about Paul and his statement, right? You've got a guy who's in your, in your service. First Corinthians five, yeah, yeah. First Corinthians five. You're sleeping with a stepmom, and and but and and rather than rather than be offended, you're you're proud. You've got this guy in your midst. Yeah, to think of to to think. Okay, so many levels, right? You've got you've got uh, uh, you've got two men who essentially have destroyed their homes, right? Made a mockery of what. God has done. Now, look, sin can be forgiven. I'm not, Absolutely. You know, and would I want the opportunity to present the gospel to somebody? Absolutely. But I'm not going to sit there and go, well, okay, here's the gospel. The gospel is going to change you, but this is how it might change you. You may have to go and repent. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to go repent. Right. Repentance of sin is, the, the fact that repentance of sin is possible yeah. is part of the gospel message, right? And the fact that repentance of sin is mandatory is inextricable from a gospel presentation. So our our repentance, our the the work of repentance, and it is work. Absolutely. Right? That's not part of the saving gospel, but God has laid things out in such a way that without spirit-empowered repentance, yeah. he, he refuses to let us grab hold of the gospel and believe. And he's, and, and here's the thing is, you've, you've got... Okay, so you've got a man who is destroyed his relationship. He was a man who was attending the church. I'm not, I'm not sure what they do about membership there, but he was <laughs> Come involved. Come on, guess. You yeah. can guess. I, well, probably. Yeah. Um, no but, standards for anything. Yeah. So all of a sudden, he's destroyed his own home, and yet it's okay for him to bring his, you know, to bring his homosexual lover. We've had that here. You know, where, where in the world would you rather two gay dudes be on a Sunday morning? Right? I want them hearing the gospel. Fair. Now, let's talk about but then what the body of Christ is. Yeah. What's the body of Christ? Yeah. Right? So, I mean, like 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and he says, look, there are ungifted and unsaved men among you, and you need to, you know, act in such a way as it gives a good witness and so on. He's assuming that there's going to be unbelievers visiting sure. our worship services from time to time, and I love it when they do. And when we've had, you know, I'm thinking of one couple in particular, a lesbian couple that came in here, not only was I happy they were here, I, I made sure that the grace of God was more prominently displayed in that sermon than I was planning on preaching it, right? Certainly. You accentuate some of this stuff, and you make sure you go and talk to him afterwards, you be kind, you invite him out for coffee, whatever. But the point there is that the kindness of God leads us to repentance, like it says in Romans 2, 4. Exactly. Not that we inculcate people into the church out of, um, out of a misunderstanding of what it means to be loving and inclusive, because there is such a thing as a narrow way, right? Brought us the way that leads to destruction. Yeah. And I'm not going to help people with that, but that, I mean, that's not what a pastor does, right? We do the work of an yeah. evangelist. No, I'm not, and, and that, that wasn't necessarily what I was getting at, is that, that you've I'm got... I'm so sorry, then, that no, I rabbit trailed off. No, 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 I appreciate that, because it can be taken that way, right? Um, and, and many a charge has been leveled against the church, especially for, for folks who are coming in and wanting to be, um, and wanting to be saved, and yet not knowing how to get there, and guess what? We can show them Christ, and, mm-hmm. and are they in a sinful relationship, heterosexual or homosexual? Are they in a sinful relationship okay then we walk through these things and they are not pleasant Mm -hmm. they are it is hard the work of repentance is hard okay we all get all of that it's 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 that these two men were invited to be a part of a welcome team a representative team of the church this is now representing jesus's bride to other people and it's like okay well what are we saying about what are we saying about what are we saying about what Jesus says about relationships? Going back to Mark 10, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his 
wife, right? Are we are are what are we saying about what Jesus has to say? What are we saying about what Paul has to say? The scriptures has to say in First Corinthians chapter seven, chapter eight. You know what what are we saying about that? Mm-hmm. And and to and to put these people. Regardless of whether or not you know, you've you've obviously got one marriage which still is in the midst of a dissolution. Okay, fine. He's only kind of married or sort of married. It's like, well, hold on a second here. You guys are still involved in a sinful sexual relationship. Yeah. Why are you re- you representing Christ? You can't represent Christ like that. Yeah, and look, I I will I will step one direction towards Andy Stanley's position on this. All right, are you ready to punch me? You're ready. Uh, I see it in your eyeballs. No, you're Just, probably you're probably calling me back, but. That's, no, no, no. It's I'm, I'm not. That's not. I the might intention. be. I, I, just, I could possibly be reactionary, but I just yeah. want to. I want to explore this side of it. There, I do have a category for pre-conversion discipleship, right? In other words, like, yeah, hang around the church a while, see how we actually live, and that kind of thing. So there was a situation one time where um, somebody, she was a believer, he was not, but he was really enjoying the Christian community here, and so we're mm-hmm. we're pursuing and we're trying to lead him to Christ, and no secret about it. I'm like, all right, bro, I want you to follow Jesus with everything you have, but I don't get to make that decision for you. So I'm just going to keep on telling you about Christ, clarifying things, answering questions, and you're welcome to hang out here as long as you want, right? You can't, you can't like serve. I'm not going to give them a key to the building and have them lead a community group, right? Because we're not on the same page on some foundational issues. But, um, uh, but yeah, he was, he was around. Well, she wanted to be a greeter, right? And I'm like, well, that's cool. Well, then he wanted to show up at the same time because they ride to church together and he wanted to join her. And I was like, make him a name tag, you know? So we had an unsaved person. Now this is before you. So you may disagree with this. This wasn't something that we talked about in your hiring process necessarily, but we had a situation there where we had somebody who was unsaved being the greeter, you know, for a time. And I was fine with that for a time, right? There's a, there's a zone in there where it's like, yeah, this relationship, we all know this is going somewhere because I've set the terms of this relationship and you know, well, so I called it pre-conversion discipleship and it's like, yeah, you're going to live alongside Christians for a little while, but we're not going to pretend you are one. I think this though, what Stanley's talking about, I think that crosses the line because if you've got people serving regularly and dependably on a team, then the church, the bride of Christ is depending on them to show up and do their job, right? And you've got a yoking issue there, right? That that whole thing about, um, in 2 Corinthians 6, about not being unequally yoked with somebody, meaning if your spiritual conditions are different, don't be bound to the same structure so that you're moving the same direction. So I, my take was, as long as there's flexibility in there, we can we can give somebody some wiggle room and some room to run. Have them be a greeter for it, whatever. You can pour a cup of coffee for somebody if you're not, you know, if, if you're not saved. But it's, it's got a shelf life and probably a pretty short one because you wind, you wind up in these uh, confusing situations pretty quickly. So I think that's way, way over the line of what he's saying. I understand the heart behind it, but I think, I, I think that is so pastorally unwise that it ends up being sinful in how it harms people. And feel free to disagree with me on this, man. I am not the Pope. No, I, it's, no, I, I think that where I'm, where I'm getting... Where I'm getting off, getting off, getting frustrated. Wow, I can't believe I'm not even able to think about this right now. Is 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 whereas, for example, someone walking into the church, right, being greeted by two individuals, would not assume probably this 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 unsaved man and this you know dear sister, right, are you know they're not assuming something as they walk in the door. But if you've got two guys that are 
you know, that, that are maybe even stated, I'm not sure if they're stated or not, in, in a homosexual relationship, greeting people at the front door. Yeah, or what if, what if one of them rubs the other guy's back as a sign of affection? Those things you do in a relationship where you don't even think about it. Yeah. A little PDA. So that's, you know, I understand. Yeah, believe me, I want, I don't, I want the gospel to go out into the homosexual community. I want them to hear the good news about Jesus. But when it comes to, when it comes to saying, well, we're, we're just going to be okay with, with that. With, we're going to be okay with that. We're going to excuse away the behavior. In fact, we're going to give you areas of service in the body of Christ that even though your relationship and your lifestyle are completely contrary to that, mm-hmm. that that's a, to me, that's not being helpful. That's functional membership is what that is. Here, you yeah. are a member of the body of Christ, and the eye can now say to the foot, I have need of you. Right. Yeah. That's a little different than, yeah, grab a name tag and, you know, hand out a bulletin for a couple of weeks. We'll see how the, how these next couple of coffee meetings go. Right. But yeah, I mean the way that first Corinthians 12 lays out the body of Christ, there's mutual dependency between the members. Right. And he just welcomed them into that. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not saying you struggle with sin. You're not welcome. Right. That's not what I'm saying. If you're celebrating sin and you're making conscious decisions to split separate families and then all of a sudden want to show up in church and just go oh well it's all okay that's a problem yeah if, if you sin against man there, there's you know god can intercede for somebody but if you sin against god who's going to intercede for you and these people are flying their middle finger in the face of god and being celebrated in the church yeah until until you do oh no, i'm not going to go there until you do something that the pastor has decided is one step too far by what authority does he decide that that one is a step too far and the other ones are not? He doesn't have the authority to make yeah. that call, right? Okay, so that's that particular issue. I'm going to play one more clip, and uh, this one's about a minute and, well, it's a minute and 39 seconds, and I'm just going to play the, the whole thing, and it's from a channel called uh, WWUTT, which is uh, what does... What? 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 Oh, I forget what that stands for. He's going to say it at the end. But this is a great channel. He does these little tiny videos on clarifying doctrinal issues. So here you go. Let me make sure I got volume on this one now. Andy Stanley claimed in a Christmas message that the virgin birth of Jesus really isn't all that important. If somebody can predict their own death and then their own resurrection, I'm not all that concerned about how they got into the world. Because the whole resurrection thing is so amazing. And in fact, you should know this, that Christianity doesn't hinge on the truth or even the stories around the birth of Jesus. It really... All right, so here we are. It's all about the resurrection, and it's only about the resurrection. This is his starting point. It really hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so the claim is that Christianity does not hinge on the truth of the birth of Jesus even though it's literally the first event we read about in the New Testament? Matthew 1, to 23 says, Now all this took place in order that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Okay, so right there, we've got, and we're only halfway done with it, but right there, we've got the first chapter of the New Testament saying, that the Old Testament predicts something, it happened, and this is the foundation of our faith. So, it's just, Andy Stanley was completely wrong on that one. Just manifestly, biblically wrong. Just how important is the virgin birth? Well, if Jesus was not conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, that means he was conceived by the seed of man. The Bible says everyone born of Adam is born under the curse of Adam, inheriting his sin nature. As in Adam, all die. 
We would not be able to call Christ sinless if he were in Adam. But because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is perfect. When the angel said he will save his people from their sins, we know that's true because he was virgin born. He is God incarnate, the pure and spotless lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Without the virgin birth, Christ's death on the cross is meaningless and the resurrection wouldn't happen. And you would still be dead in your sins. The virgin birth is as important as his death and resurrection when we understand the text. That's what it was. W-W-U-T-T, when we understand the text. What? Yeah, so there we go. And by the way, he did a masterful job explaining that, right? Mm-hmm. First Corinthians 15 going there saying, hey, and Adam all die. So if Jesus is in Adam, then he's a sinner and he's subject to the penalty of death. But since he was not born of man, of Adam, but, you know, um, conceived by the Holy Spirit, then he's not under that curse and he is qualified to lead us out of it. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful truth. And beautifully handled. But the point that I want to make here is you see how essential doctrines start falling off the side, right? Like that's that's the pathway. And by the way, Andy Stanley is far from the first to do this, even in modern times. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where it started with Rob Bell. I remember when um, I read Velvet Elvis, and and it was already old by the time I had said that, or by the time I had read that. But um, uh, Velvet Elvis, he you know he basically was trying to make Christianity cool to the skinny jean crowd, and you know I guess. I mean, it almost worked, except what he ended up preaching was not Christianity. But when Velvet Elvis came out, we didn't know that Rob Bell was actually a full-on heretic yet, right? But what he said in there was, look, if we lose the virgin birth, we haven't lost anything, right? And that was a statement made in there, like, who cares? Here's what we're going to talk about. What is God like? What is God actually like? Now, of course, the answer to this is very simple. How the heck are you going to know if you get rid of the Bible? That's the only source of information we have for what God is actually like. But... You know, these, these essential doctrines be, become seen as unimportant, and that's the slide. That's the slope. So let's back up now, and we're going to track what just happened, okay? We started with unhitching Christianity from the Old Testament. Why? Because it's hard to accept. It's hard. He said, uh, he said in the clip that we, we find it harder impossible to, um, to accept the, the worldview and the ethics that are shown in the story of Israel or something like that. So he's talking about the Old Testament. So because it doesn't sit well with us and because it doesn't square away with modern sensibilities, then we can get rid of that and not accept that as authoritative, but we can still follow Jesus who rose from the dead. Well, we saw that's actually impossible. It's actually not true. And that line of argumentation falls apart with even the smallest amount of biblical scrutiny like and, and just questioning. Then we start seeing it fade into the the ethical side of things, right? So you get rid of, well... I'll go out of order. You get rid of the Old Testament. Now, some, you know, if something else is hard to explain or it's a hurdle in somebody coming to Christ, that can go as well, the virgin birth. Why? Because I can explain Christianity without it. And fair enough, I have shared the gospel with many, many people without mentioning the virgin birth. In fact, most of the time that I share the gospel, I don't really bring up the virgin birth. It's not because I'm trying to shy away from it. It's because I'm, I'm focusing on a holy God saving sinful man, right? The virgin birth comes into it, sometimes not in the initial presentation. So if you can explain Christianity without it, or a basic or a mere Christianity, and I'm so mad that they stole that phrase from C.S. Lewis, because C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, was awesome. He's the boss. Yes, but if we can explain Christianity without it, it goes away, and we're not going to hold to it. Now, they would say, I believe it. I believe in the virgin birth. Most of these guys would say that. It's just that I don't need you to believe it in order to worship Jesus with you. It's not an essential doctrine. It's not a, quote, salvation issue. Well, and to bring that up, Paul, when he's presenting the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, doesn't mention the virgin birth. Fair enough. 
Yeah. But he does mention the resurrection a lot. Well, and uh, yeah. Okay. And, I, and I'm not and I'm not attempting to make Andy Stanley's case. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. But he, he does. I mean, it just cited there that he says, it, as in Adam, all die. So while he doesn't bring up the virgin birth, that would be a necessary implication of that. But John doesn't do it in John 3. Yeah. Right? That's um, true. So anyway. Yeah. So one one doctrine goes away that has to do with biblical authority. Other stuff starts peeling off. And yes. then it gets into the ethical area where we don't even have to live like Christians in order to be Christians, which, again, there's a sliver of truth in every lie, right? And the truth is, yeah, you can be a Christian before you know how to live like one because we're not saved by our lifestyle. Certainly. We're not saved by our works. Yes. However, you cannot deny the lordship of Christ and claim him as Lord with any integrity. Lord, Lord, did I not do all of this in your name? Did I not greet people at church for years and years with my boyfriend in your name? Depart from me, I never knew you. You may call him Lord, but he's not Lord. That's Luke 6, 46, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? And and that's, I actually, to be fair, I'm, I'm going to step on some dangerous ground here, and I don't, I don't have an answer to this question that gets brought up, but it needs to get brought up. People have asked me before, specifically about Andy Stanley in recent years, is he a Christian? Now, it's a little bit dangerous to speculate on that in the sense that we can't see a man's heart, right? You can see the fruit of it, and the fruit is not good, but we don't know. Maybe he's going through some stuff in life, and he'll pull out of this 10-year-long tailspin, and God's gracious with him. I don't know. But what we can see here is that there is definite cause for concern. Like, if I, in, in regards to his salvation, right, I can't anathematize the dude because he... I'm not, I'm not quite ready to do that yet because he may be wrong without being unsaved. I know a lot of Christians that are wrong. I got one of them that shows up in my bathroom mirror every morning and he bugs the daylights out of me. I just want like, stop being wrong all the time. Look at your stupid face. It's even wrong, right? But when you look at Luke 6, 46, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? You don't do what I say. Well, what does it say to do to pastors? Preach the word. And he's not doing it. Well, and... You know, James would say not many of you should become teachers because you'll mm. be judged with a stricter judgment. Wow. So, I mean, that, that's the, regardless of of whether or not he is a believer, there's a strict judgment coming, and especially Huge. for someone who is misrepresenting. And I don't even think I can say, I have to say in my, in my opinion in this, misrepresenting the scriptures, misrepresenting really God himself. Yeah, that's not an opinion. You are 100% right. That is so verifiable. So that we got is... I fear for you know if 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 everything's going to be burnt off and he's got a really hot wood hand stubble, it's going to get burnt off at the final judgment, and maybe he'll pass through as through the fire. The sad thing is, is that look at look at what's going on. I mean, this is why James says we should be careful about being teachers and sticking to the text. It's being, yeah, it's because how many people are being led astray by this? Yeah, and those people. A lot of them are saved and are beloved children of God that are now being taught incorrectly. And you know what doesn't burn off in the fire in 1 Corinthians 3 is the millstone. Ooh. Jesus is not screwing around with his babies. Yeah. You know? And, and I mean, I felt bad even just for that one dude in the front row who, who is, he's holding to biblical authority. And, and, and essentially he gets pointed out and mocked. Yeah. And, and yeah. Of course you're sitting in the front row. You're a church boy because you knew the answer to that because you knew the Bible tells me so. And he was, yeah. So then Stanley co-ops that to say you're agreeing with my point. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was there for the first time that day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what do disciples need to know about this? Here's the thing, guys. When, When we take a look at 
the things in the Bible that are hard to accept or the things that we're tempted to disagree with, the things that we don't understand or they seem to contradict each other and all of that. There's, you basically have two options. Well, you have three options at that point. You can either skip it and say, I'm not dealing with that because it's too confusing, which a lot of people do. They say, I'm not going to read Ezekiel. I'm not going to read Revelation. All people do is fight about that and I don't understand it. I'm going to stick to the gospels. And then they hit Matthew 24 and they're like, this sounds a lot like Revelation. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> Mark 13 freaks them out. But you know, you can either ignore it, which you shouldn't, because all scripture is Theanustas, which is Second Timothy three sixteen, right? All scripture is God breathed and is profitable. You need that. Like Revelation, for example, it says, "Blessed is the one who reads the words of this book of the prophecy." Right. So we we don't want to skip it. Your other two options are, if you don't understand something or you're tempted to disagree with it, you deny it. In which case, you become an authority over God and you claim lordship over Christ Himself. And you don't want to be doing that, right? And, and Christians don't want to do that. We do this accidentally all the time. We say, ah, I'm not really sure about that one. You know, that, that part may not be true. That part may, may have been, you know, written by men or snuck in there or whatever. That's, that's a dangerous path to go down. I want you guys to watch out for it because now we're seeing where it leads. Now, the other option is you can have a, um, I, I call this the maybe box. You can have a maybe box in your head right? Disciples don't need to be 100% sure about everything. You can say, maybe this is the right way to understand that. Maybe this is the right way to understand that. I'm going to ask some more questions. And if I don't get all of my questions answered, I'm just going to let that question sit in my head for a while. And that's okay, right? I got a lot of issues I consider to be back burner issues. That's what I call them. It's like, okay, I really want answers to this. At some point, I don't really have time to chase it down right now. I got other things going on. And it doesn't rock my faith, but I've got a lot of unanswered questions. Now, I've been around this cycle enough times that I know when I have questions, there are answers to be found, right? You just got to put in the elbow grease and do it. But it's, guys, it's okay to not be sure about everything. And sometimes that if we're uncertain about something, we feel like it's faithlessness and we're denying it. And so we lunge at an answer for the sake of being confident in what we believe. And I'm just going to tell you, like, if... If God's purpose in your life was to be sure of everything, then it would be immoral of him to write things in a shrouded manner or to tell us things that are too confusing for us to to know right away or whatever. But if the point of life is not to be sure about everything, but to trust in Christ, the worst thing he could possibly do is give you something that, you know, give you a, a view of himself that fits between your ears. You know, I'm always telling people, if God fits between your ears, he's too small, right? You're going to have unanswered questions and it's okay. So just don't be afraid of it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and and if you're going to teach, at least do the legwork to make, to 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 be confident at least as you can be about the answers that you need to give. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, the, there's there's so much that we can be confident in, mm-hmm. and it, and even when it comes to things like okay, fine, let's talk about creation. Okay, there's a, a, there's a number of different. Uh, different views that still fall within the realm of orthodoxy, you know. So you're not denying that God made the world, right? You're not, you're not, you're not going into some kind of evolutionary track or or name another creation myth that you want to that you want to espouse, right? But but when it comes to just 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 saying, well, I, I can't understand this, so I'm just going to get rid of it. Yeah, we can't do that. I think the 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 other point that is a minor one, and it's it's a little dangerous here. Well, okay, I brought up the whole is Andy Stanley saved thing. I brought that up not because I want, I think it's important to come to a conclusion on this, but because I want Christians to know that this is the type of stuff that should get us asking questions about the state of our heart. Certainly. Right? So that's for self-diagnosis. The other thing that I think is a little dangerous to step on here because it gets into family business. I say this as a Christian father. There, there's an element of that that is so tragic to me where like I am a pastor who is a dad 
Yeah. And I don't know what Charles Stanley thinks when he hears this kind of stuff. I don't need to know. It's not my business. But I just want to bring out one lesson from this. Guys, if you have Christian parents, please appreciate their investment. Even if they did things wrong, even if they screwed it all up, if they even tried to disciple you in the Lord or teach you the things of God or expose you to good doctrine or whatever, if they even tried, then they deserve honor for that. They deserve honor just by virtue of their position because God put them there, but they deserve gratitude and thanks and honor for even trying. And there's an element of this that is just so bratty where it's like, I understand you don't believe what your dad taught you, but do you have to take shots at him saying you were never told? Like he's answered these questions for millions of people. Okay, maybe he didn't tell you around the dinner the dinner table as much as you would have preferred. I don't know what he wanted to have happen there, but he could have listened to any of any one of his sermons and figured it out. It's just like part of me just says, you need a spanking, young man. Like, how dare you talk about your father that way? You dishonor him in public from a pulpit. So don't do that, guys. Honor your father, and the faith of your father will be much easier to engage with as well. If you conflate those two things, it's it's you know. It's going to get bad. So, all right, guys, we could go on and on about this, but we kind of already have. So Jesus deserves disciples. Let's go be one. And you know what disciples do? They follow Christ. And that's all we want you guys to do. If we can help, please let us know. Amen. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love him because he first loved us.